So starting this Thursday night, we have Bill Vanderbush here. Bill is a good friend of Georgian Banoff. He was here um, earlier this spring. And then Robbie Dawkins was here just two weeks ago. He's a, he's a friend of both of these guys. And um, seriously, he just fits our church's style perfectly. He's really low-key but packs some power. So you're going to want to be there for this Thursday night at 6.30, Friday night at 6.30, and then Sunday morning at 10. Um, he, he, like, he, he pastors a church. So he's specially coming here for Thursday and Friday and Saturday, which if you know anything about pastoring a church, those are like the days you want to be at your church getting ready for the weekend. But he's making a sacrifice to be here with us. And then he'll go back to his church on uh, Saturday afternoon and preach. So this is going to be really phenomenal. It's free. There's childcare. I would encourage you um, to come check it out. All right. So before I jump in this morning, I just want to remind you what my dad talked about last week, what Van talked about last week. If I could summarize it in one phrase, it would be this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. This series we're in, Power to be Free, three messages, um, the heart of it isn't to tell you as a Christian that you need to do these things to become free. The heart of it is that if you are a Christian, you already are free. Okay? You are free. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So that last, that last part of the verse, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you're not living in faith, and faith is, I'm going to unpack that in a couple moments. If you're not living in faith, then you might not be living in freedom. Does that make sense? I have been crucified with Christ. You know, crucifixion is a method of killing something. <laughs> crucifixion is, you're done after that. You don't, it's not like a method of torture or something like that. No, I mean, it is a method of torture, but you are done. You are dead at the end of that. So we have been crucified with Christ. It's basically like this. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Our source of life is no longer what happened when we were born, but now it's when we were born again. Does that make sense? We no longer live just based off of the rules of earth. We live based off of the rules of Jesus. And who here would say that Jesus isn't free? Right? Like Jesus is totally 100% free. So that means that we can live in that same freedom that Jesus did. We can live in the same freedom that Jesus did. And even to, if you think this is only applying to Jesus, a couple chapters later, I don't have this verse on the slides, but Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So it's this, this whole idea that we have to say a certain amount of prayers or that we have to read our Bible a certain amount or pray a certain amount or worship a certain amount or do a certain amount of good things before we're going to be free is totally wrong. Okay? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are as free right now as you ever will be. Some of you, that probably is like bad news. You're like, crap, I'm so not free. <laughs> You're free, okay? You are free. In Romans 12, 1, it says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's my translation. Don't fit the mold. Don't be molded by the culture, the patterns of this world anymore, but be totally radically changed by the renewing, by the healing of your mind. What this verse is saying is, you, so you are free, but until your mind catches up with what Jesus did for you, you might not live in what Jesus did for you. Jesus has done more for us than any of us are living in right now. The, the, the cross accomplished an overwhelming, amazing, total victory, okay? And then the resurrection was like the seal, the stamp on that victory, saying that that victory could never change. But until our mind catches up with all of that means, we won't experience it. Until our mind catches up with everything that happened to the cross, we won't live in what Jesus accomplished at the cross and the resurrection. So, the, t- the title of my message today is Power to Be Free, Part 2, Be Strong and Courageous. Open up with me to, Galatia, or to Joshua 1. I've really just been getting into the Old Testament lately. Um, I love stories, you know? Who doesn't like to read a story? Sometimes, you know, like, you're reading this stuff that Paul says and the New Testament, and you're just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But then you jump back into Old Testament story, and it kind of gets you grounded again in how exciting the Bible is and how exciting the Word of God is. So I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. But before I do, I just want to paint a little bit of context for you. The, um, the Israelites, they're this nation that God has chosen, and they're in slavery. And then God does all these amazing signs and wonders through a leader named Moses to get them out of slavery. And he, he delivers them out of slavery. And then Moses is leading, leading these guys, and he's about to take them into the promised land, taking them into the destiny, into the thing that God has for them, the plans that God has for them. But they kind of mess up. They don't really go with the flow. And basically God says, look, this is your guys' thinking. The way you guys think is so contagious that if I take you into the promised land, you won't even get to experience the goodness of the promised land because your thinking is so bad. So I need to wait for a new generation to come and I'll take them into the promised land so they can really live in all the goodness I have for them in the promised land. What does that remind you of? Do not be conformed any longer to the power of this world, but be transformed. So anyways, um, but then it turns out that even Moses, Moses as a leader, isn't equipped to take them into the promised land. Someone else has to be the one that actually literally takes them there. A new leader has to take them into a new season. So imagine filling the shoes of Moses. Like this guy is described as being face to face with God, greatest leader to ever walk the earth at this point. Um, like the Abraham Lincoln of Abraham Lincolns, okay? That's how you should think of him. Like who, like who, how popular was a president that followed Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> Andrew Jackson, not known in history as one of the greatest presidents ever. He kind of was a bad president, to be honest. But even if he hadn't been, how could you fill the shoes of Abraham Lincoln? Okay, that's, that's who Joshua is right now. Joshua's like, I have to follow in the footsteps of one of the greatest leaders ever. And I don't know how you would feel, but, well, here, I won't spoil it. Let's go. Joshua 1, okay? He's following in the footsteps of Moses, and here's what God says to Joshua 
to prepare him to take the Israelites into, their, into the thing that God has for them, into the promised land. So Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. Hold on really quick. The first time I read this, I had to read it like 20 times. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord. It's like, okay. I got caught on that so much. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you'll be on land I have given you. Say, wherever you set foot. That's pretty big, isn't it? Wherever you set your foot, like that's, that's a big promise. Wherever you set foot, you'll be on the land I've given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. From the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my commandment. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, hopefully before you zoned out because of how long that passage was, you caught how big of a promise that was from God. How big of a thing God is promising to to Joshua. Like, it's, it's hard to even imagine. It's... It's so expansive that it's like, how could you actually do this through me? Like, all, wherever you set foot, no one will be able to stand against you. All the way from California to New Hampshire. I'm giving you all of that territory. Like, that is huge. That, that's like kind of the size of the landmass that God was promising from the Euphrates River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. But there's one thing that would keep Joshua from that. There's one thing that would keep Joshua from successfully leading the people into all that God has for them. First of all, that's profound. God can have something for you and you can get in the way of getting what God has for you. There's things that God has for us that we can get in the way of actually happening in our life. That's sobering, right? Like that puts in perspective why relationship and intimacy with God is so important. Because it's that time you spend with him on a daily basis, reading your Bible, worshiping, praying, that helps you clear your mind and focus back on Jesus and not let those things that can be snares and footholds, like my dad talked about last week, keep you from what God has for you, okay? But there's one thing that God is saying will keep Joshua from his destiny. Not only from his destiny, but from his people's destiny. Fear. Fear is that one thing. What's he say three times here? He says it three times. Do not be afraid. 
Be, no, he says three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and courageous. Because he knows that fear can keep Joshua from his destiny. Fear wants to keep us from the things God has for us. Fear wants to be, fear wants to camp out in between us and our destiny and battle with us so that we never get there. So that every time we take steps towards our destiny, fear comes and says, no, you can't do that and wants to push you back. Fear distorts and twists the way we think. There's this um, lieutenant in the Japanese army. His name is Hiro Onodo. He was a second lieutenant during World War II. This guy, when the war ended, he was stationed in the Philippines and in the jungles of the Philippines. So after the allies overwhelmed and took the, took the um, Philippines back, you know, from the Axis forces and from the Japanese, Hiro Onodo, Onoda didn't get the memo right away. And so he actually stayed in the jungle hiding. He thought he was fighting for the Japanese army, but he stayed there hiding even after the war had actually ended. In fact, for 29 years, this man lived and scavenged in the jungle. The villagers began to send him leaflets and then began to go out there and like nail on trees, little like, like newspaper articles and headlines trying to convince Onoda that the war was over. I should have learned this dude's name better, okay? Hiro Onoda. Um, they're trying to convince him, trying to convince him, trying to convince him, but he wouldn't believe it. It wouldn't believe it. It took, it was in 1974 that a college student made his personal mission to hike out into the jungle and develop a relationship with his second lieutenant, become his friend, and then finally convince him that the war was over. And he came out of the jungle and he surrendered. <laughs> 29 years. See, fear, it twists the way we think. Fear distorts our perception of reality. It didn't matter what was true because fear was his reality. Fear was his truth. This past week um, was my mom's birthday. September 11th is actually my mom's birthday. So on Monday night, which by the way, let's just, I just want to say let's honor firemen, police, the military for the sacrifices they made on September 11th and the ones they continue to make. So I just want to say that. But um, September 11th is my mom's birthday and we had dinner at my parents' house, Jen and I, my wife and our uh, four-month-old daughter, Haya. And my parents just lived like two minutes down the road from us. So we had dinner at their house, had a great time, had a little fire. And then we come home and it's about 8.45, maybe 9. And by the time we get home, Haya is just like just on the brink of falling asleep. She's in the backseat and Jen is like, Jen sat in the backseat with her and is kind of soothing her and just like um, loving on her and stuff. And so I get out of the car and I walk around the car to the back to where, to where Haya's car seat is. And I open the door to get her out but I see that she's just like kind of her eyes are fluttering and she's just on the brink of falling asleep, okay? If you know anything about a four-month-old child, you're like, your life revolves around them sleeping. <laughs> so I'm standing there. I was like, all right, I'm gonna let this play out. So I pull my phone out like a good dad and begin to get on Facebook, you know, and, and uh, read about the Steelers and read about the Reds. And um, I'm just standing there waiting, waiting, waiting for her to, for her to you know, really get, in, get, get actually asleep because, you know, pulling the car seat out it kind of jerks and that might wake her up and closing the door. There's all these things going through my head. I better wait, you know, let her, let her fall asleep. 
And as I'm standing there on my phone and Jen's leaning over the car seat, holding her pacifier in her mouth and rubbing her head and singing to her or something. And I notice this animal scurry by my feet. Just like a little, little animal go running by my feet. And I just thought, okay, that was probably our cat, Jet. Because we have a cat. And there's a couple of neighborhood cats too. And they're always playing and messing around and <sighs> in the middle of the night. And so this animal runs by my feet. And I figure, okay, that's just Jet. But in hindsight, you know, you don't hear a cat run by your feet. <laughs> if anybody knows that, like cats are kind of sneaky and quiet. So I'm just standing there still on my phone. It's been about five minutes that I've been standing here now. And about two minutes into that five minutes is when the cat, uh, the cat, you're about to find out, ran by my feet. When I hear, and I turn and I see this like six foot, 250 pound raccoon run up the tree. And I'm like, you can, it's a six foot raccoon, like 250 pounds. Like, you know, I'm really terrified. I literally, I'm, I, okay, it was a normal sized raccoon, but I literally jump on the back of our car. I jump onto the hood, onto the, the trunk of the car. I'm just standing like, what was that? Oh my gosh, like, what is happening? Now, Jen is in the car, none, doesn't know what's going on, but she is feeling the fear I'm feeling times 100. She's like, what? Like, looking through the back of the, um, the back of the, the rear window at me, like, what's going on? Is there a sniper? Like, what is happening? And I'm standing there like, oh my gosh, what was that? And so I, I, I try and like figure out, okay, look, this is not my best moment, people. All right, <laughs> let's be real. I'm not proud of this. I'm glad that it was dark so she couldn't take a video. I'm on the car and Jen's like trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm just thinking like, okay, like, Jen or Haya, Jen or Haya, who am I going to save right now? And I jump off the car, run around, un unlock her car seat, and just sprint inside without saying anything to Jen. <laughs> just like, sorry, sorry, babe, I love you, but this is it right now. I get in the house, <laughs> and I open the door, and I look, and Jen's still in the car. <laughs> And Jen's trying to figure out what's going on. What happened? <laughs> and I, I'm like, trying to like, we're watching Band of Brothers, a World War II movie. So I think I know all of the, you know, signs. I'm trying to tell her like, you, two enemies, you run, you know? And so she, <laughs> she grabs the diaper bag and just lit, gets just, sprints inside and dives and makes it inside and she's like what happened what was it what's going on what was it and I'm like it was a raccoon I think it I think it was a raccoon but you don't understand that raccoon was like feeding off radioactive waste it was huge it was like Jason size the raccoon man and of course you know that didn't exactly go well that I ditched my wife for a raccoon but imagine, imagine if this experience, imagine how this experience could affect me, okay? Yeah, pop the graphic up, okay? Look, he, I had an experience. I had an experience. Now, what do our experiences lead to more? They lead to thoughts. 
So imagine this. What if from that experience, I became scared to come home after dark? Just, this is hypothetical, okay? I'm obviously pretty strong and courageous. That wouldn't happen. But uh, you, from the story I told, you guys know how brave of a person I am. But check it out. What if now I was scared to come home after dark? What if now, you know, like I, my life revolved around getting home before it was dark? Like I couldn't leave. I couldn't go 20 minutes away from my house after seven, right? Because what if I'm not home in time? You know, what's going to happen? Ah. Or imagine how that would affect me going to other people's houses. I'll pull into their driveway, pull out my, binoc- my uh, you know, what's it called? Night vision binoculars, look around. Any raccoons, any raccoons? Like, all right, Jen, you know the drill. Like, you wear your running shoes. No, wear my flip-flops. Get your shoes on. Like, we got we to gotta do this. Imagine how that would affect my life if I, if I took that experience and I started just thinking about it and thinking about it and I let that experience become the new way I thought. Soon what would happen is I would develop a belief based around my experience. You see, we don't realize the power of our thoughts. We don't realize the power of our thoughts. We have experiences that inform thoughts And then when we meditate on those thoughts, when those thoughts become our reality, when fear becomes our reality, we develop a whole belief system. We develop a a mindset that's all based around fear. It's all based around fear. This is where Romans 12, 2 comes in hot. It says, "Do do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to let our experiences and our thoughts be healed and change the way we think. Otherwise, we're going to develop a pattern of belief that messes everything up, that keeps us from our destiny. In just a moment, Jason's going to come up here and conclude his story. And Next week, I just want to tell you, just really briefly introduce, Luke is going to be talking about strongholds next week and how we combat these strongholds. If you're not familiar with the idea of strongholds, really quick, I'm just going to read this verse to you, these three verses, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Just right there. What this is saying is that the way we think, aka our thoughts, can keep us from knowing God. How you think can keep you from knowing God. And I'm not saying knowing in the sense of facts. Not knowing like this, that, truth, fact, false, true. No, I'm saying knowing as in experiencing God's love experiencing God's life, the revelation of who God is, the revelation of God's light and God's courage, the way we think can keep us from that. Morning, everybody. Um, So yeah, I, I get the profound joy of like illustrating what this looks like when it does take um, If you weren't here last week, uh, I shared part of my personal story. When I was 10 years old, uh, my family was held hostage overnight. 
Uh, my dad was a bank executive, and so they held us hostage overnight to rob the bank in the morning. Um, this was a, it was a terrifying, horrid experience in our lives, and, and unleashed uh, I, the spirit of fear over my family. Um, if you want to hear the details of that and you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast. I went into much more detail. Um, what I wanted to talk about now, the, I mean, the good news is Jesus. So I, I shared last week, in the midst of all of this that was happening, a family moved into my neighborhood that knew Jesus. Uh, and the mother of the family led my mom to Jesus, and I became best friends with the boy in the family, and, and I started following Jesus when I was 12 years old. Um, how I would share the, a metaphor for this, have you seen Shawshank Redemption? If you're familiar with the story, um, Brooks is a character, and he, he spends decades, like 50 years of his life in jail, and he finally serves his, finishes his sentence, and they release him out into the public. And he does not want to go. He doesn't want to be free because he's grown so attached to the institution that's been caring for him for 50 years that he's literally just miserable as a free man. And he ends up taking his life. Um, That is what it's like. The difference between, like, I'm scared of a raccoon And I've been freed from prison, but I'm not free. That's the influence of the spirit of fear in your life. And so you see, like, in the main character, Andy Dufresne and and Red, Red has the same, he's like, I'm going to, the same thing is going to happen to me. And uh, Andy Dufresne casts this vision. Like, no, we're going to go to the beach. We're going to be free the rest of our lives. We're going to live our lives out in freedom. That's Jesus, the Jesus character in Shawshank Redemption. Like, no, I have, for freedom I have set you free. Not to feel like you're caught up in prison still when you're a free man. Um, now, obviously, like this took root in my, my life through being scared, just being scared. Just being scared of stuff, being scared of the dark, being scared of being home alone, The thing that, you know, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, he doesn't go, let me tell you all the ways this is going to ruin your life when you eat of the tree. So the way I coped with this was um, I actually became, uh, like, I went into self-protection mode. Like, I am not going to be afraid of anything. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to put on thick skin. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to strive for achievement. I'm going to set goals. And, and like by all accounts, if you would have looked at my life when I was a young adult, you would have said, like, yes, this is J- Jason has overcome fear. I joined the Coast Guard because I was like, I don't want to be afraid of anything. I want to wear a gun. I want to do law enforcement. I want to be the tough guy. Um, I was, like, this week, I was just even thinking, like, uh, my ship, I was stationed in Alaska, and we would go to the Bering Sea. I was actually stationed in Seattle. We would go to the Bering Sea. And if you've ever seen the crab fishing shows, like, they can't even portray what it's like in real life. And one night, 
we got an SOS call in uh, the middle of the night, and we had to travel like 50 miles in hurricane force winds. So like in Alaska, they don't call it a hurricane. It's just like a normal storm. Um, and the, the, your job is just to go hide and wait for it to blow over, but the fishermen just stay out there. And so we drove through the night, and you guys, if you see these videos where the wind is just screaming and howling, and I, I had the watch through the night, and the waves were like, our ship was 27 feet tall to the bridge, and the waves were up over our masts. And, but the thing about that is coming out of that is like, it, I should have had a healthy fear of that. <laughs> like, that's something to be scared of. But you come out of it and you're, it's like a badge of honor. Like, I did this. Um, what, one of the things that developed in my life with this is actually um, like physical things that happen to you. I've suffered with migraines um, pretty much all of my adult life. And I was sharing this with a woman one time and she was like, you know, like, do you struggle with fear? Because fear can like actually impact your body. You can suffer headaches. And I was like, I'm not afraid of anything. Um, and that night I went home, Emily and I had just bought our first house and I, I, Every night I had a ritual. I would go around the house and like shut all the shades. And Emily was like, what are you doing? And I said, there's somebody out there plotting to kill us. And um, she was like, okay, you're weird. Who did I marry? But like I was serious. Now, it wasn't that night after that, but this was the same time frame. And so I... This is that time in my life I'm in seminary. I was following Jesus. Like, uh, and last week I shared like, the difference between like, I can do this with God's help and only God can do it. Like, th- there's a gigantic difference between I can do this through God's help or only God can do this. And so uh, we were in our first pastorate. Uh, I was pastoring a church in Nebraska and we took our church through a, a discipleship ministry that included deliverance. I mean, just deliverance from demons. One of the most powerful ways Jesus shows that he has power over this world is he frees people from demonic powers, literal demons. And so we had gone to a conference at the end of this discipleship ministry and uh, at the conference they would literally just go, okay, now we're going we're gonna to pray for the spirit of pride. Here are the symptoms of the spirit of pride. They would read those off. And then we, it was kind of, we'd go through this process where we pray. And then we'd come forward to a prayer line. And like everybody got prayed for everything. And um, by the way, pride is a sneaky thing. Because sometimes, like, you, you can be the, like, have the lowest self-esteem and not be confident in yourself. And that's actually pride. Because you're, you're telling God, like, I know how to take care of myself better than you do. I know better than you what you should think about me, God. It's a very prideful sentiment. Um, the way pride took root in me, though, was like, I, pff, I'm not afraid of anything. 
I've been carrying a gun for the last. So they went, they got to the spirit of fear. And you guys, like even this week while I was preparing for this, I I was like looking at the symptoms for the spirit of fear. Lord, I still have so far to go. But they're reading and it's like, check, yes, check. Yeah, yep, I'm struggling with that. Check, check, check. And so, like, by the end of the if you've checked off every symptom of the spirit of fear, you're like, okay, it's like, I went up forward with expectation. Um, when I went forward, this, this, I mean, you guys can see me. I'm a very large human being. And the, this girl that was about Jen's size, she's like, oh, yeah, we're going after the fear. And I was like, oh, Lord, what did I get myself into? And... Um, <laughs> She, she anoints me with oil and put, I mean, she could barely reach the back of my neck, puts her hand on the back of my neck. And I just, I went down under God's power. If you've seen Braveheart and William Wallace, like that's the blood. That was awkward. Uh, just like the spirit of fear. And you guys, literally, as, as she's praying for me, I'm screaming. I, it felt like a 500-pound gorilla came off my back. And um, I just... The biggest illustration of this is I've never felt the need to close a shade in my house or lock my door ever again. Now, yeah. Now, there's wisdom. Lock your doors and, you know, you might want to close your shades. I'm just saying, like, it was a ritual where I had to go around the house and do it every night. And it's gone. And I'm sure that gorilla had been around on my back since I was 10 years old. Jesus wants to set you free so you can set other people free. Okay? Um, I, I know that he did that for me because my calling is to set people free. And I want to see all of you set free. God wants to do in you first, though, what he wants to do through you. You get that? He wants to do in you first what he wants to later do through you. And so uh, as I was just thinking about this, um, I was thinking about John 15. And Jesus says, uh, I'm the vine and my father's the vine dresser. And he will cut off any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. Um, it's really interesting in that passage because we have no responsibility in our fruit-bearing process except for to abide in the vine. The Father does it. (laughs) See, Jesus is the life giver. And if we abide in him, the Father's faithful. Like, this was just God's timing in my life. But I believe like, that I, this is the timing for me to tell my story so that you can be set free. So, thanks for letting me share my story. And um, I'm praying that over the next few weeks, a lot of you experience freedom. 
uh, right now we're going to take an offering and go into worship. Today, today, as we go into worship, I would just encourage you to like abide in the vine and ask Jesus what he's got for you. So if the ushers want to come forward, if you want to make out a check, make that out to Vineyard Northwest. Or you can use the app to give. Now, I'll pray for the offering and pray for you, and then we'll go into worship. Uh, if you don't notice, there's a basket on the very far left side. You need to grab that and pass it down. So, Father, I thank you for freedom. <laughs> I thank you for setting us free. And um, I, I just pray right now for this offering that, that it'll be used for freedom. That you will set people free here to be generous, uh, overly generous, so we can set the whole city, the whole region free. And I, I pray for individuals today just that you'll come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. And just meet people during worship. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as the baskets come by, feel free to stand. You're welcome to come up front to worship. The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The sea.